Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. What's up, Stevie Stacks? What is up, Micah, man? I'm chilling, yourself? Oh, man, freaking stressed out from trying to keep everything organized and Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com, chaos going on. It's just a mess, dude. Oh, man, that's why you got to switch to Hostfully, bro. Then you ain't got to be dependent on the big OTAs. What's Hostfully? The guidebook people? Nah, nah, not only do they have guidebooks, they also have a property management platform system that they now use. Uh, We use Hostfully. It takes care of all of our direct bookings. It manages all of our calendars all in one place. And we can even provide discount codes to our guests that book directly on our website. And it integrates with a Boostly's website as well, which provides our websites. Mm, I have a Boostly. I want I want to start getting some direct bookings. Oh man, that's why you got to get switched to Hostfully and set up that Boostly integration, get your website up and it helps you with your Google AdWords. So then you're no longer being PIMP'd by Airbnb. <laughs> I like that, man. We keep it real. It sounds like Hostfully keeps it real too. Yes, sir. Hostfully. Use code THRIVE. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live, Let, Thrive. What is up, Micah? Man, I am chilling on this uh, iced in, snowy Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're snowed in all week, right, man? It was um, a lot of fun. It wasn't as crazy as a couple years ago when everything shut down, you know, and all, all the Airbnbs were uh, powerless and, you know. Nowhere to put them, nowhere to put everybody. They ain't coming to my house. Um, <laughs> so, yes. Lights on for us this year. <laughs> this is episode 238 of your favorite Airbnb, VRBO, short-term, mid-term, long-term rental podcast in the world. Coming at you from Fort Worth in Arlington, Texas. What's Let's going go. on? Let's do this. Let's have some fun today. Yes. Uh, we got We got a couple special guests. We got James and Riley joining us. They can say their last names because they're unique last names. Um, who is James and who is Riley? Well, luckily they sent me a bio and my phone shut off right now. And here we go. Uh, let me see. James Svetic is an Airbnb expert, investor, and coach. James got his start in the short-term rental space by managing some of the most successful short-term rental properties in downtown Toronto. He's since gone on to coach hundreds of students around the world on Airbnb hosting, management, and investing, and and is a successful short-term rental investor himself. He's also a best-selling co-author of Airbnb for Dummies. Wow, that's big time. And his work has been featured on Forbes, uh, New York Times, and many others. James has, and his investing business partner, Riley Oekel, <laughs> are now fo- uh, focused on mentoring other aspiring short-term rental investors through their company, BNB Inner Circle. Now, Riley, yeah, I'm not going to leave him out, uh, Riley Oekel, Okay, is a Canadian real estate investor and mentor who specializes in multifamily residential investing through Burr and joint venture strategies. After building successful a successful home maintenance company, Riley transitioned into real estate investing and started buying income properties around the southeastern uh, Ontario area throughout the journey of buying his first income property. He realized that there is a real need in the market to help people go through the process more easily along with purchasing 
rental properties focused on Airbnb. Today, he owns a real estate portfolio worth over $8 million. He helps beginners find, analyze, and purchase cash flowing properties through coaching while also building his own portfolio of rental properties. That's a mouthful. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we got a lot of questions for you guys. So, um, what, who you want to go first, Micah? You got you got some good questions for these guys. Oh well, yeah. I was uh, well, my question was for Riley, man. How did you how did you get started with the old Burr strategy? And uh, for for people that don't know what Burr is, can you explain that to them and then go into how you got started? Yeah, for sure. So the the Burr is an interesting one because uh. Yeah, and I'll kind of, uh, I'll explain it a bit more. It isn't like Burr, it's cold outside because James and I are up here in Toronto, so it's pretty chilly right now. But uh, <laughs> the the Burr is, the Burr is you're going to buy the property. So the B, it's an acronym, right? So the B stands for buy and you're going to buy a distressed property usually. So it's under market, under market value. Um, you're going to get a little discount on it, maybe five, 10% off. And usually you're going to look for something off market. doesn't have to be off the market, but usually it's going to be off market. So you can get a good discount. Um, save some realtor commissions. That's 5% usually in and of itself. Um, so that's the buy. After you buy it, then you're going to look to renovate the property. And so we, we do strategic renovations. So those are value adding renovations. What that means is you're going to probably not want to do like maybe insulation or do like, uh, you know, like the, the hot water tanks, things of that nature, because that doesn't usually like actually add value as, as much to the property. It's the bathrooms, it's the kitchens, it's things like that. Um, those are strategic renovations, really value adding. And then after you renovate it, then you're going to rent the property. So renting is is ideally renting it at a higher price than what you bought it for. Um, so you're going to rent it for more than what you bought it for. Um, so if when you bought it, uh, you know the, the rent was maybe three thousand dollars a month. Now you're maybe looking for that to be five or six thousand dollars a month for rent um, for like a duplex, triplex, something of that nature. And then after you rent it, then you're looking to, to refinance. And so the refi is you're pulling out the money that you put into it for the down payment, the deposit, the renovation costs. Um, and then the last R, because there's actually four R's in the burr, um, is the repeat. And actually, it's pretty important. Um, the, the repeat actually allows you to, I'm not going to go into detail on this because I'm not an accountant, but um, if you do it strategically, the capital gains can be deferred. So the repeating is actually pretty important to keep that money moving fluidly. Um, so the whole idea of the burr is like you kind of, Think of it as like buying an under-optimized business. And the goal is to optimize that business. And if you do that well, then you can hold that money and keep it moving fluidly like a river, not like stagnant like a pond. You want that money continuing to move um, as much as you can. So awesome. Now, yeah. now we've, that's yeah, how it we... works. And and I got started just because like a, a bunch of gurus and mentors had told me, hey, like this is what you need to do at the beginning, especially when your net worth is pretty small. Like when I started at 20, I didn't have much money kicking around. So my 50 K was like really what I had. And so I wanted to keep that moving as much as I could. So that same down payment and renovation cost allowed me to buy a couple of properties. Now, now real quick on that, cause we've had some, some bird people on the show and um, you know, American ones, is there anything different about the way they burr in Canada than there is in the United States? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. Okay. And the interest rates are pretty sky high over there too right now. Yeah, I think we, I think, yeah, when the tide rise rises, like all, all the boats rise or whatever that saying is. So, yeah, I think it's yeah. pretty similar. So does that make, does that, does that hinder the burr process at all? What we do is, uh, yeah, so the burr is um, basically the most important thing of the burr that you have to remember is what, what the acronym uh, stands for. It's ARV, after repair value. So that acronym 
is what the property is going to be worth after you do all these things to it. Um, so what we've done with the the softening market, it's the downturn right now happening like pretty well across the U.S. and Canada, is we'll discount that ARV by five or even ten percent. Um, so we're we're doing that. So it's about two percent a month is what we're doing. So if if it's a six month renovation, I'm I'm shaving off two percent from that after repair value amount every single month. So if it's a six month runner, that's twelve percent. I'm actually going to discount that ARV number right now. Mm. Smart. Okay. So, no. so James, you're the you're the Airbnb guru. That's me. Yeah. And so how do y'all how do y'all work together? Do y'all Airbnb things or what? Yeah, pretty well. Like Riley had Riley came in with his background. Like after uh, <clears throat> after university, he kind of went off and and started really getting knowledgeable about real estate investing. The whole burst strategy built up his portfolio. And after university, um, uh, I went off and just got really really knowledgeable about Airbnb. Started managing properties, doing that kind of thing. And then we were actually colleagues before, like when we were both in university. And then we kind of coincided again, and we were like, oh you know, I've got all this Airbnb experience, but I've never actually bought a property. I've only managed other people's and I really wanted to get started actually buying properties. And Riley was like, well, hey, what a coincidence. I've got all this experience buying properties, but I've never done Airbnb and I've always been interested in it. So we just came together and yeah, our first project together was a, was a burr. Like we bought a place, did a, did a full gut job on it uh, pretty well and did a big renovation on it and then turned it into an Airbnb. And then we've done a few other Airbnbs since then. Some of them Kind of just a, a range of different renovation scopes. Some of them we've bought more turnkey. Some of them we've done more renovation work on, um, and just that, yeah, I've been buying buying short term rental properties together. I have a question. If you guys wouldn't mind, would you mind going over the numbers on your first burr if you have them? Yeah, I don't. I don't have like the exact numbers right handy. Riley can probably correct me if I if I get off on anything. But like in a nutshell, we. Was it five? Riley reminded me, was it five or five twenty that we got the property for? It was listed for six twenty and then did some negotiation, got it down to five twenty. So we bought it for five twenty. Yeah. Oh, but man. this thing, yeah. it was so bad, like genuinely, <laughs> the carpets in there, they were so dirty that they ended up spray painting them. I've never seen this. They spray painted them blue <laughs> to like hide the dirt. So we're in there during the walkthrough inspection, like thinking about buying this thing. And we're walking on the carpet and it's like crunching under our feet. And when they spray painted whatever the carpet, like it went up all on the baseboards. It was really, oh, really bad. Oh my gosh. Um, but no one else was interested in it. Uh, so yeah, it, uh, we got it down to yeah. 520 is what we bought it for. And did 5% yeah. down, which was sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And Riley, Riley worked his magic really, really negotiating with the, with the sellers effectively. So we got like a hundred thousand off the asking price and yeah. So got it for 520 and then we put, um, I think we're about about $60,000 into it between the renovation and the furnishing. Um, so that like included about 20,000 of that was renovation or, or was that uh, was furniture. And then 40,000 was the reno. And then what did it reappraise at after that, Riley? Uh, I think it was 710. So we were yeah. able to pull out all the money that we had put in. Wow. Yeah. Five and then turn that, turn that into a short-term rental. Yeah. Like we pulled out all the money, had it reappraised nice and high, pulled it all the money and then turned it into a short-term rental. And we, we got pretty lucky with that property. Like um, in a, in a good year, in a solid year, we were projecting about a hundred thousand um, dollars is what we were projecting in, in top line revenue, which would net us about 60, which would still be amazing. But we, we just happened to buy the property right as COVID hit. Um, and when COVID hit, it uh, basically did 
wonders for this property because it was a it was a cottage property. So when people couldn't travel internationally anymore, everyone was looking to get out of get out of Toronto. And this was like two hours outside Toronto, right by a lake. Like we had a hot tub, a sauna. So in its first year, instead of doing a hundred k, it did like one hundred and fifty thousand in mm -hmm. revenue, and we netted like eighty or ninety thousand on that, and it's just been crushing it ever since. So that one. It was it was a really good deal that was made even better by by COVID. That is why I love the burst strategy. And you pulled your five percent out, and you basically got a hundred a property giving you a hundred k and no money in. That's why I love yeah. the burst strategy. Now, what kind of property was that? Was that a multifamily, single family? Single family. Yeah, that was a. So we bought it actually as a three bed, two bath, and then we turned it into a six bed, two bath. We upgraded the septic like finished off the whole basement. So it ended up being a pretty large, um, like just single family bungalow. Wow. You had a three bedrooms to that thing. Okay. Yeah. So the bedrooms must've been really big and then you just split them in half or how, I wouldn't even just the, the basement, the basement wasn't finished. Right. Like they just uh -huh. had empty space down there in the basement. So we just actually like walled it all in, finished it all off. And we were able to add three, three, ba three basement, bedrooms down there in the basement plus like a big rec area that we put a movie theater into and stuff like that jeez <laughs> yeah that's amazing man creativity um so it, it's a trip because you know back back in the day i used to be into that uh, hgtv and stuff like that you know i used to watch those shows and property brothers there they started out in canada and i was like and they'd walk them through these these houses that were like you know i don't know two thousand square foot or whatever for like 1.2 million i was like holy crap i don't canada prices were insane back then so i mean are they even more insane now yeah like if, if you're downtown anywhere important in, in canada so you, you know the montreal's the vancouver's toronto ottawa uh even halifax is going up quite a bit like um yeah like it, it's definitely increased quite a bit from that like toronto in particular like i i don't know what the exact average home price is here but Geez, it has to be over a mil for sure, if not one point five, quite easily. Yeah. Oh, it's just not a not a lot of um housing out there, I guess. What's the deal? Um, yeah, I, I don't know the exact deal, you know. <laughs> I think <laughs> I a say, big part I, of it is like yeah. like we just if you look at the US, you've got your population is everywhere, right? Because like you've yeah. got good climate and like you've got plenty of urban hubs and like we've got 30 million people here that just live in like three cities basically <laughs> right because like most of our country is just cold and uninhabitable and unfriendly so like we just have a very very uh condensed population in the major urban centers so the prices go up and then restrictions on on building and all kinds of different stuff but yeah there's a bunch of different factors but the the main city hubs tend to be really expensive but we don't we don't buy a lot. Like Riley's got a triplex that's just outside Halifax, which he said it's like he said it's getting more expensive, but not crazy yet. Um, but most of our of our short term rental properties are outside of the the urban centers. They're more in like cottage type markets. Hmm. So do you turn like your multifamilies into uh, short term rentals as well? Um, I, I haven't turned any of my multis into short term rentals, but I did buy it like a multifamily. It was a triplex, like James just mentioned there. And it, the, the sole purpose of it was to be a short-term rental. We ran the numbers though as well for it to be a long-term and they still made sense. It was so close to the 1% rule. So it was like, okay, like, you know, we have a strong backup in case the market doesn't support it. Or the major issue that you run into with like um, urban centers, like, you know, anywhere important, like the major cities, you're, you're running into like rules, regulations, stuff like that. So when, when you're 
in those major cities, there's the hotel lobby groups, obviously, that might have, have a good impact on, you know, rules and regulation and licensing. So you, you have to be careful. You have to have a very strong plan B. Um, that's like mainly why we've done Airbnbs in uh, more rural communities where there's less hotels. So, um, yeah, but, but actually uh, I've had quite a few students that have flipped long-term rentals into short-term rentals with interest rates rising. Some of them are negatively cash flowing. They're just not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they bought the property negatively cash flowing or like neutral cash flowing. Now it's really like, you know, drowning. Um, mm-hmm. And so flipping those into short-term rentals are now having them be quite profitable. Like they're, they're making some good money. Um, it doesn't work in all markets, but like in some markets, yeah, you can definitely flip along into a short, a short term and uh, have it make a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I, I was wondering uh, how are the um, Airbnb regulations in, in Canada? They're pretty good, honestly. Like it depends on where you're looking. Like Riley said, uh, in major urban centers, the like the way that we always look at it, we always try to be um, uh, kind of predict what's going to happen in the future, not just look at what's going on right now. Uh, and it's pretty easy once you just start thinking about like what the incentives are. So like you like you'd expect in the major urban centers, they're pretty restrictive on short term rentals because the economy doesn't need them. There's a housing shortage, so it's like easy for people to point the finger and blame short-term rentals for for a shorting uh, shortage on housing. Um, and then there's hotel lobby groups that would rather not have the competition. So there's all those factors. But then when you look to like a lot of the more cottage-type markets, they're all the local businesses in that area depend on the tourism that gets drawn to the area in their like high season from short-term rentals. There aren't any co- any hotels to compete with, and if they were to restrict the short-term rentals most of the local businesses wouldn't survive, right? Cause like people just wouldn't be able to go up there in the summertime and like stay at cottages. So for those areas, they tend to be really uh, friendly to it. And they're like quite happy about short-term rentals, which is nice. Now we know that um, COVID, you know, when, when that happened, y'all had some of the strictest laws, right? I mean, pretty much shut down the borders for foreigners, but you, but you said, you know, the, the cottage type places still did good because, you know, Canadians went there. Right. Yeah. Um, but the ones I, I imagine the, the ones in the city and stuff like that got crushed. Yeah. The city didn't fare too, uh, too well. Uh, like some, so some of the students I coach and like people that I, that I know in the city who manage properties, like they, they did all right if they made the right pivots and like transitioned to a midterm rental or tried to attract traveling nurses. Cause there were a lot more like traveling, uh, traveling people in the medical space. Um, so if you pivoted, you could do well and like keep it afloat, but it definitely took a bit, pretty big hit. Ooh. Yeah. I remember the, when you had the NHL bubble up there, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. my, my Dallas stars almost won. So that's close. <laughs> now, where are y'all buying properties now? Are y'all still buying in the same area? Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're kind of like looking to do a bit, bit of a bigger project this year. So. Um, yeah, like in the past, we bought multis, multis, uh, below four units mainly. And we've been brainstorming ways in which we can kind of break out of that bubble, go into commercial. And we've really, really enjoyed short terms. So the way that we scale short terms would be either like kind of a resort, a hotel, um, you know, like a campground, something of that nature. So we've, we've really like zeroed in on likely doing more of a boutique hotel type of investment. So something between say 10 to even 50 rooms uh, where you can have like kind of a concierge desk of, you know, obviously like a little restaurant, uh, maybe a cafe in there. 
And so that, that's a different business model, as you can imagine, a little, a little different than a single family, six bed, three bath. So we're, we're looking to, um, to really become educated on that this year. So holding off on buying and then just going all in on like one bigger development, one larger project. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the new thing. I yeah, love that's that. what we're looking to do. You went straight into where I was heading. Cause when I said, you, when I read your bio, you said multifamily burr. I'm like, okay, he has to be going into the boutique hotel space. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the same thing as well. I passed up a killer deal, $200,000, eight unit. And then once I started hearing about the hotel, I'm like, that would have been a perfect boutique hotel. So yeah, I, I think that's a really good move. I, that's a move that I want to get into in the future as well. Yeah. We're excited, but it's, it's pretty cool. Cause it's like, if you can, I, I'm a really analytical person. So I look at it and I go, yeah, you can centralize your operations. You get like a, a cleaning person on staff. You've got one person like on staff at the front desks that can, that can handle all your messages and like keep track of it. I just think it's a really good, a really good combination and it's actually a commercial asset. So like the big advantage there is that you get commercial lending and you can sell it based on the, on the net offering income. Whereas like with a, with a single family, we can get this thing pumping out like $90,000 a year in cash flow, but we can't sell it as a multiple on that income. Whereas with a commercial asset, we can. So we're just going to get a lot more leverage on, on selling or refinancing. One question I do have for you guys then in that case, are you targeting boutique hotel spaces in like the inner cities? Because now you no longer have to worry about regulations, right? Or are y'all still looking like in those rural markets? Yeah, definitely looking at like downtown um, in major cities. So yeah, j just because like, again, if we have like uh, above even 20 rooms for that matter, like there has to be a good amount of, of flow. There has to be a good amount of traffic and a demand. And, and so, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking at downtown um, areas. And then that's the way that we can kind of break out of that rule and regulation and licensing fiasco in major cities. So, yeah. So James mentioned selling. I mean, I mean, I thought you were supposed to keep these and keep rolling with them. But so, so why is selling part of your strategy now? Selling's not like, I wouldn't call it so much part of the strategy, but it's just awesome to be able to buy an asset where when you, when you create more value in the asset, you can, you actually create more value in the asset. Like being able to buy a commercial asset means that like, if it produces more income, we can actually reap the, the value out of that additional income that we've created, whether that's through a refi, whether that's through uh, pulling out a line of credit against it and just borrowing against the asset, whether that's through selling it long-term. Um, it's just like an, another avenue. Cause like right now, the only appreciation that we get is just market appreciation essentially. Whereas if we can actually have a lever that we control where we can pull on it to produce more value out of the property, that's just a plus for us. But it's just like our other properties, it is going to be a buy and hold strategy, not something we're going to be like selling in a couple of years kind of thing. Hmm. I, I just think it's kind of funny how when we started off, you know, all of us started off in these uh, Airbnbs out of our houses or, or apartments or whatever condos um we're like we're going up against the man we're going up against the hotels this and that and you know and a lot of battles happen in cities and then all of a sudden but our, our ultimate goal oh crap i guess i'm gonna start my own hotel you know it just comes from the man yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um no that's really cool so I'll, do y'all do uh any arbitrage by the way is or your students do arbitrage i did a bit of arbitrage when i was first getting started and then I just, when we started building it, my business partner at the time and I, we went, well, okay, this is going well. The properties are making really good money, but we had this moment where we just thought about it. And we went, oh shit. Like if we keep taking our profits and reinvesting them into growing and bringing on more units and then the city regulates, because at the time it was all downtown Toronto. 
And we were like, shit, if, if we do all this and we keep reinvesting the profits, don't pull cash out of the business, and then the city regulates and we have to shut down, we will have built and built and built and built and have nothing to show for it because it'll just get closed down. And we will have like all your money with arbitrage is being reinvested into rent and furniture. So like you don't retain any value on rent and the furniture is going to be worth like half what you bought it for at best. So we we pivoted at that point. We held on to some of the rental arbitrage units that were really good and just like use them as cash cows and then really focus more on like the management fee model where we would just manage for the for the property owner in exchange for like a 20% management fee and did it that way because then we just figured it was way less risk, less cash uh, cash intensive to grow the business and we we scaled it that way. Hmm. Yeah, I know Micah always preaches that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Because that's what I tell people. I'm like, yeah, you're you're building a whole big business on risk, you know, and you can't pull yeah. anything out. That's why I love owning. And then like how Steve's pivoted to management. I love that. You know, it's no risk. I just pivoted one of my units to a management unit this month, actually on the first. So I love that model. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much less risky. Like I just, you know, it's 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 fair enough when you're first getting started because you're like, okay, I can, I'm willing to take more risk. But then I think that naturally, like as you get more successful in business, you go, okay, I'd love to de-risk this a little bit. So I just think that arbitrage is riskier when you, when you start to get big, it's not really worth the risk. Mm -hmm. I agree. What is up? Live, let thrive fam. Here's some more Stevie stacks talking about mother loving hostfully the only PMP you'll ever need for your growing short term rental business. What's a PMP, you ask? Well, it's your property management platform, of course, the thing that runs all your things. And Hostfully's PMP plugs in all your listings across all your different platforms like Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, and more, and puts it all into one convenient spot where you can update, edit, change, improve any of your properties instantly with just a couple of clicks. It's insanity. So in other words, it takes this clump of chaotic mess you created while building your short-term rental business and it cleans it all up for you nice and pretty like, puts a bow on it, makes it run efficiently, saving you hours and hours of your own precious time so you can go do what you do best, grow your damn business or build a kayak or jump into a cold river naked. I don't know what's your thing and I really don't care, but Osfully cares and they're here for it and you. But seriously, my short-term rental management company has grown to over 70 properties in eight different cities across three different states, and I sure as hell couldn't have done it without the help of Hostfully. For reals, I've been using them for a minute. A minute in the urban dictionary sense, meaning a long, long time. Now, y'all, you know we keep it real on Live, Let, Thrive, and Hostfully keeps it real as well. And they keep that PMP hand strong, because PMPing ain't easy. Please show a little love to LLT and use code THRIVE for $100 off Hostfully's property management platform plus two free months of their industry-leading guidebooks. That's a great deal, guys. Hostfully! So um, you wrote a book, uh, Airbnb for Dummies. So everybody knows the Dummies series. We've seen that in, in, in everything, right? Fixing toilets for dummies, everything, right? So how do you how do you get involved? How'd you get involved with that Um organization or whatever it is company yeah so as i as i got more into the airbnb space and into like the online world i actually ended up um partnering up with this guy simon um uh and so he runs the blog learnbnb.com um and so i partnered up with him and then ended up actually buying a big chunk of that business learnbnb.com the blog 
Um, and then they actually reached out to him because of the blog. So they, they were writing the title Airbnb for dummies. And I think the way that they did it was they like put out a request for a proposal. Um, like, Hey, we're writing this title. If you want to author it, then you can like submit your, your bio and your background stuff. And just because we had this experience, we had the kind of authority with the blog and whatnot, they ended up choosing us to, to write it. And so he and I co-authored that together a couple of years ago. Man, that's pretty cool. Cause that's a big time book. Now, do you make, yeah. I hear you don't make a lot of money books, but did y'all make a pretty good chunk of change in that book? No, not really. I mean, like I, um, yeah, we make a bit of money, but it's nothing crazy. Like it's not, it's not that cool. Uh, like money wise, what I really like about it is it's just like, obviously the authority that comes along with it. And it's like, it's just a good way to get your name out there. Uh, and it's a, it's a good way to, um, especially with the Wiley publishing company, like we got to use so many of their resources cause they have like their publisher, their editor, they've got everything. So it's a really, really good way to like get our knowledge and expertise out to people for like a really, really affordable price, kind of like YouTube, but like way more organized and way more polished. Um, so it was cool, but yeah, not a huge moneymaker. Mm. Uh, and Riley, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to quick question, like ask, because you know, with the whole Airbnb bus thing going down that everyone was talking about, I was going to ask, did that have an effect on your business, like on the management side, the arbitrage side and the ownership side? Um, yeah, so I would say, uh, not really. So I think like sentiment wise in the market, it's interesting. Like we've definitely pivoted and like we're, we're addressing it. Cause we, we also do the coaching side of things. Right. So on the coaching side, we had people freaking out. We had to like help them and make sure that they're, they're doing the right stuff. But like what I found was the case is like, I think a lot of people, um, who were in less seasonal markets, got this whole Airbnb bus thing come along and they like didn't know what to do. But for those of us that had properties in really seasonal markets, we like, I knew exactly what to do. And so we weren't that affected by it because it, it was just like, it's one of those things where like, I think Tony Robbins says something about, about this where it's like, when you get hit the first time, you're like, Whoa, what the heck happened? But then when you get hit like the 10th time, you're like, Oh, I know what this is. I know exactly what to do. And so it was really just like a low season for us where there's less demand. And so you have to do two things, really. One, beat the competition. Um, and two, you have to be willing to like adjust your prices the right way. So for us, like all we really had to do to like, we stayed really, really well booked throughout this low season in the midst of all this Airbnb, Airbnb bus stuff going on. Um, and I think that was really due to um, like just recognizing that um, when whenever supply drops down, which is basically what's happened right now is that supplies or, or sorry, demand has, has dropped down quite a bit. Whenever demand drops, a lot of people think that like everyone, everyone on Airbnb is going to suffer equally and that everyone's going to see a dip in demand. And what actually happens is that like the top 10 or 20% of hosts get all the bookings and then the bottom 80, 90% get no bookings because it's like just these few listings that are like really well optimized, have their pricing dialed in, have amazing photos. Everyone books them and then no one books anyone else in the market. So you just have to like make sure that your listing is dialed in, that you're like one of those top 10, 20%. And then the other part is like pricing adjustments. A lot of hosts are kind of lazy with it. And so when demand goes down, you've got to drop your rates and people just don't do that. And so as long as you're on top of it with pricing, then you, uh, then you end up getting the booking. So yeah, like on the coaching side, we definitely like helped our students navigate through that. But as far as like our own performance, it was, it was really good. Like we had already seen it before we were fortunate enough to like kind of know what was going on pretty early. And so we just made the adjustments and we've stayed honestly really, really well booked throughout the last couple of months.
That's awesome. That's awesome. So did Airbnb's algorithm changes, did that affect you guys at all? I don't think like Airbnb, I think the only, I think a lot of people overplayed that. I think that realistically, like people kind of misidentified what was going on. I think really it was just a big drop in demand. There was the initial update of their platform that happened like late last year where they like, they focused more on unique types of stays. Um, and that didn't really affect us one way or the other. Um, I thought it was going to, it was going to make a big difference, but it didn't really. Um, and then I think a lot of people have been like blaming the algorithm going, Oh, like no one's seeing my property. And I think honestly, that was just due to people like misidentifying what was going on and that they thought it was the algorithm, but really it was just, Hey, less people are booking. We've got to do X, Y, and Z to make sure we stay booked. Hmm. Man, that's interesting. That's crazy. So, uh, yeah. I, oh, one more question about the cleaning fee. Right. You guys operating with a cleaning fee or without a cleaning fee? Because I noticed a lot of people are no longer operating with a with a cleaning fee and supposedly getting a lot of more reservations doing it that way. Yeah, we're still doing it with a cleaning fee. I haven't gotten brave enough to venture out into no cleaning fee. I tend to uh, I tend to be really skeptical of like new stuff. I I like for other people to guinea pig stuff. I like watching and seeing other people test stuff out and make mistakes and figure out what works. And then like later on, I'll go in and let, and adjust it. Like even like we're, we're just launching now. Like when I had the property management company, I, I launched on VRBO and booking.com and all that. But like, even with our properties right now, we're only just launching on VRBO. And like a lot of people think that's crazy. Um, and they expect that I would just be launched on those right away. But I really like to like, figure something out and get it to like the 95th percentile and then go and expand out to other stuff. So like, I, I personally prefer to like, just really dial the properties in on Airbnb, then go and, and expand them out. And so similarly with the cleaning fee stuff, I've been seeing people talking about it, but I want to, I want to get to the point where like someone else has figured it out to the 95th percentile. And they're like, this is exactly how to do it then I'll go and do it. And I'm a little more reluctant to guinea pig stuff, especially when it's this new. That's a, that's a good point, man. Because I, you know, you hear people in an industry, oh, I did this one thing and then my bookings exploded or this happened. I mean, but there's so many variables, right? Did you do that one yeah. thing in January or did you do that one thing in June or July? Did you, did you also, were your prices higher then? Were your prices low? I mean, there's so many variables. You can't say I did one adjustment. I got rid of cleaning fees and all of a sudden my, you know, I, I'm doing a lot better, you know, but yeah. so I, I like, I like you, you, you're doing the Apple approach. They say, you know, Apple, they let the other companies build the best, you know, biggest and best. And then they figure out how they did it. And they do it better. You know, yeah. why, why go through all that trial and error and, and failure? You can let someone else do it and then just, you know, do a better version of that. And so that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. And so I, earlier I was going to ask, uh, cause I don't want to, you know, Riley has been quiet for a little while. Uh, <laughs> do you I'm still hear? No <laughs> still listen. This is great. Yeah, I'm yeah. learning a lot. I'm learning. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it is exactly. great. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> so do you, do you not invest in the United, in the United States at all? The lower 48, as you call it. Yeah, we, we personally haven't just because our team's here. Like we, we just we're, we're pretty deeply rooted right now. And just like being with the team, like James was mentioning about economies of scale. And, you know, it's just nice to keep everything centralized. Um, at the same point, like we don't really have anything against the states. I think it'd be it'd be a great venture. And we've we've um, done a good amount of education on how to do it, like hired coaches. And like we, we've really explored what that looks like to go there and buy ourselves. And I believe that we will, you know, maybe in the next couple of years for sure. Um, and we've worked with tons of, of people that have actually bought there too. And, 
and work with them because there's there's a few differences of course when it comes to the legal structures and accounting um you know financing those are the main three for canada versus the the states but otherwise the systems are the same how you build your team is the same analyzing is relatively the same so very few nuances but um yeah yeah like maybe in the future for sure okay and what areas i mean y'all invest together i reckon y'all invest together so, so, um, what areas are you seeing promise for in the United States? You know, a lot of our, our listeners are are from here. Uh, as far as you know, doing short term rentals and, and buying, you know, properties that'll be very profitable. Yeah, it's, it's say for me in particular, like uh, I'd be looking to buy in Florida. Um, I really want to be able to be a snowbird. You know, again, <laughs> the weather up here is pretty chilly in the, in the winter, so yeah. I'd like to get out. I'd I'd like to leave for for a couple of months and. But at the same time, if it's a lifestyle asset, um, we, you know, we have to be aware that sometimes you're not going to stay there um, because it's making money. Um, mm-hmm. James and I joke around that like sometimes like we just can't stay in the summer times at our cottages because we don't even we can't even afford you know what we're charging <laughs> other people. So like, we can't we can't go there and stay. Um, so so maybe that's what it would be in the Flor- Florida kind of winter months because a lot of snowbirds go down. But that would be the play for me is like to buy something there that I could go and, 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 you know, get out of the cold for, for a few months. Um, James might have a b- bit more insight though, cause he's been doing a lot of like market analysis for sure. Like the bird's eye view of, of the U S so. Yeah, there's, there's a, yeah, I was just going to jump in. Like there's a ton of markets in the U S that are really good. Uh, we've got a lot of students right now investing in, uh, in different like national park areas still tend to be really hot. Um, some of them like in Gatlinburg, for example, of just like, they really went up in value and it kind of priced it out. So it doesn't really make as much sense, but there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of ones that are on the up and coming. And one of the things that's really cool is we, um, I'm, I'm sure you guys know about AirDNA. Um, so we get their, uh, their like BPTI report every quarter. It's like their best places to invest report that goes through every market in the, in the U S, um, and like ranks them in investability. Um, so yeah, there's like all kinds of really good markets, honestly. Um, and lots of them, the kind of theme we're still seeing is that more like cottage type areas around national parks that are like really good for a staycation type thing. Those are doing really, really well. Hmm. Nice. Nice. And in Canada, where's some, uh, hot spots to be investing right now? Same kind of thing overall, honestly, like, um, same types of markets, but for us, that just means like, um, outside of a major Metro area by a couple hours, like cottage countries where we've done, done really well in like the core the lakes area, which is just like a couple hours outside of Toronto. Um, and then, yeah, there's just like basically those same sorts of pockets that are outside the major Metro areas. Yeah. Banff does pretty, we used to do pretty well for me when I used to rent out in that area. Yeah. Like those areas that are like kind of secluded, you know, those are really hot up in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's right outside of Calgary and it's beautiful. There's so much to do out there. It's like, yeah, Banff is a really good market. And a serious question, who has the best poutine in Canada? Oh, that's a Riley question. (laughs) Well, I, I didn't want to toot my own horn. But I am a poutine connoisseur. I actually am. I actually no, no, I'm just joking. But I've eaten a lot of poutine actually recently. Um, so that's funny that it comes up. I would. I don't know. Quebec. Quebec's really good. R- real good. I think the poutine was invented in Quebec. Maybe. Was it um, really? 
I don't know. <laughs> Mike, you know like what it. poutine is? They're really good there. I, you, every person from Canada that comes on the podcast, you ask it to, and I, I, I forget, but he's asking <laughs> Canadian men. You can explain to Micah what, what poutine is better than I can. Well, you, you take French fries and you put them in like a little little container and then you put cheese curds on top and some gravy. It's really, really complex. It's, it's amazing. Three ingredients. <laughs> and it's the most salty thing ever. Apparently, they have poutine in a can now. You can buy it at the grocery store. Poutine oh. in a can. I don't know what that would be like, but that wouldn't wild. recommend it. Ah. Yeah. Do they have it in Vancouver, BC? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've been uh, up I've, times, never had poutine, so I'm going to get it the next time I go. When I went, you know, I, I had some poutine, of course, at like a chain restaurant. But it was, it was amazing, you know, better than what I could get over here. And but I was just going, you know, walking to downtown uh, Vancouver, they had low poutine, you know, restaurants and they had like all kinds of ingredients, you know, bacon and, you know, sausage, whatever. They just, you know, I, th- I thought it was just those, those three ingredients, like you said, but I guess they they do all kinds of poutine now. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in not messing with the classic <laughs> state of what works. Yeah, <laughs> don't want to load it up too much. So one question I did have for you guys is about your mentorship and your uh, teaching program. Who are, who are like your ideal students? Just people that want to get involved, people that want to get into management, arbitrage, people that want to buy. Who's your ideal student for what you guys teach? Yeah, James, Raleigh, you want to jump on take it? Sure, I'll go. Yeah, yeah. We'll so, both, we'll so both guess, do it. Uh, I'll do every other word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you, there you go. <laughs> yeah, like the, the ideal student for us, we work with a lot of people that are, like we work with some people that are just getting started into real estate for sure. So people are like just getting started and they want to buy their first short-term rental. They've got some money saved up and they want to deploy it the right way by the right property. That's for sure. Uh, people that we work with. We also work with, like Riley said, a lot of, a lot of students that like have some experience in long-term rental and they either want to convert their long-term rentals over or start adding short-term rentals to the, to the portfolio. Um, usually the reason they want to do that is just to add some really strong cash flow. Because with long-term rentals, like you get this benefit of all the equity and the appreciation. Short-term rentals just like really supercharge the portfolio with cash flow. So that's typically who we're working with is just people that are that are looking to buy one to say 10 properties over the next couple of years that they want to do short-term rental with specifically. Um, most of our students are in, are in Canada and the U.S. We've got a pretty even split. We also work with people that are nationally, but definitely the core is in Canada and the U.S. Awesome. Okay. That's cool, man. Yeah, so I'm happy you guys are actually out there providing value to people. That's that's awesome. I love people, you know, in the education space who know what they're doing. You know, you're a New York Times author, Minman Forbes. So that that's cool that you're offering that to people. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think I, I'll speak for both Riley and I on this one, but like we got we were both fortunate enough to early on get some really, really good mentors in our lives. And that helped us out a whole bunch that we were able to just shortcut a lot of the different trial and error along our, our career paths. So it's just like it made a lot of sense where we really enjoy coaching people and we've seen the value at firsthand. Like Riley said, like we invest in coaches still to like learn about how we can invest in the U.S. as, as Canadians, all that sort of stuff. So it's a pretty natural fit. Another another important question. What, what happened to the mullet, man? I miss, it looks, looks oh, nice. Oh, man. You got so that photo right there, <laughs> I got to say, is like is like the 10 seconds over over a year long period where my hair looked like that the whole rest of the year my hair was just all over the place it was just unruly so i had to get had to get rid of it i got one good photo and then i got rid of it it was like a the hockey player playoff photo you know when they all just let it all grow throughout the whole playoffs yeah yeah, yeah. so there you go if you're canadian you can get away with it yeah 
I'm glad she captured that moment in time. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's why I didn't recognize you at first when you first hopped on. I guess I was looking for the long hair. I was like, eh, is it the same guy? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too hard to keep under control. How'd they get rid of it? So I, I have, a, I have a, a question. It's, um, so, so a partner I, I, I invest with and, and we'll have my, you know, my business partner, Federico, his, he has a lot of family in Argentina, right? And they're so wanting, they want to invest here in the States. I mean, is it pretty simple to do? I mean, I know y'all are researching it yourselves. Do you just form some kind of LLC and then they can invest their money into the LLC and then we can buy properties with that LLC? Is it that simple? Yeah, I would say, yeah. And likewise, we're kind of looking at similar things too when we're helping our students because some of them have foreign investors or they have money and how do they deploy that in, in the country? Um, and uh, and so, yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic. Uh, I would say joint venturing tends to be a pretty easy way. And so, you know, you, you'd have a, a permanent resident, like a resident that could actually get financing and get a mortgage in the host country where you'd like to buy the Airbnb. And so they'd be on title and on the mortgage. And then the the foreign investor would come in and essentially be able to deploy the money for for um, whatever's needed. And then together they collaborate. So, you know, whoever's ideally, again, in the host country would be more of like the active partner. So they're going to be maybe finding that property, doing the walkthroughs. Um, if there is a little renovation to do, they'd be overseeing that. And then a lot the long-term management. Whereas the other foreign investors really just, again, injecting the money into the property. And so you, you would split that deal, whatever percentage made sense for equity and, and cash flow. Um, so yeah, that, that, that tends to be pretty, pretty good. Um, when you're doing an LLC, like again, I'm not familiar with that in, in the US, but I would imagine there might be some type of workability there, but in Canada actually right now, there's not, um, there's a two year ban on foreign investors. Um, oh, why? why actually go and buy properties because of the housing market. Yeah. Uh, They're just I'm... trying to, to, so yeah, if you're a foreigner right now, it's two year ban. There's absolutely no, no workability. So joint ventures does still work here, but I'm not, I'm not up to date on the U S yeah. this, thought... this one for us was just passed like, like three weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I thought it was the Airbnb's fault that made all the property values go sky high. I don't think we should say that on this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) What all the that's what all the governments say. They blame it on Airbnb. I'm like, hey man, it's my home. I want Airbnb it. What the hell? You know? (laughs) Question, Steve, because I have a friend named Adam. He's uh out in uh Canada, and that's his biggest thing. He wants to invest like down here. He's trying to get into like the it's crazy, like the Gatlinburg markets. Everyone wants to get, you know, that area because it's just so hot. Uh so you guys said you haven't touched anything in the US as of yet, right? Yeah, no, not not as of yet. It's uh, it's one of those things where it's just there's a there's some added complexity with like the legal, the taxation, the financing, and so for us, just because the the market in Canada has been so good for us and we really like it, we haven't kind of tapped it out yet. We're still investing, but like Riley said, um, there's just so many more cool areas to invest in, in the U.S. So it's something we'll do in the in the future, but just haven't actually gone gone forward yet. Okay, and you guys, I know you guys do most of your stuff like outside of the big city. But have you guys touched anything in Toronto? Because I know, I think Toronto is what, the third largest city in the North America, right? Isn't it? So it seems like you guys would always have tourists in that area, right? Yeah, we haven't done anything short-term rental-wise in uh, in Toronto. Like we haven't actually done any any properties in Toronto. The closest would be like, like Riley said, he's got a property that is more urban and in, in, uh, just outside Halifax. But Toronto for short-term rentals sucks because they, they passed regulation here 
that um, it has to be your primary residence. So it's just, you can't really do much as far as short-term renting because it has to be, the property has to be listed as your primary residence. The idea is that the, they want you to actually have it be like your home that you only rent out when you're like on vacation, the way Airbnb was like originally designed. Um, so Toronto is just not really great for short-term rentals overall. So I don't know if it's the same way in Canada. So here we could like live in a fourplex and it's owned by us and we could rent out the other units. Can you do that there? You, you can, but you can't do that in Toronto because Toronto, it's pretty weird. The way they set it up is like, it's actually pretty controversial because they made it so that like, if you own a multi-residential, it technically counts as two dwelling units. And so if you, like, if I own a place, let's say, and I have a, a legal basement apartment, I cannot rent that legal basement apartment on Airbnb because technically the upper unit is my primary residence. The basement unit is not, so I can't rent it out. But if I have an illegal basement unit, that's not like the city doesn't count it as a second unit. I just like slap the door on it. Then cool. That's technically my primary residence still. So like it was really <laughs> controversial when they passed it because people were like, well, I paid like $50,000 to get my basement apartment permitted and have it be legal. And now the person beside me that didn't do that was doing it illegally can Airbnb their basement and I can't. And like now they can make way more money than I can. So <laughs> they did not do a great job of setting up the regulation in Toronto. There's a few little flaws in it. See, that's one of those yeah. things where people see that. That's why it's hard to be honest sometimes, man. You know, you do the yeah. route and they screw yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. 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 People were not too happy about that. <laughs> that's crazy. Just turn back in the permits. Ah, I was just kidding. This is just a, <laughs> yeah. I hit yeah, the door exactly. off. It's my house again. It's yeah. not a. It's not its own dwelling. Oh man. Um, midterm rentals. Do y'all do y'all do any of the midterm midterm rental stuff? Yeah, actually, um, I started doing that for one of the units out in in the East Coast in Halifax, and it, just because it's the low season, so you rent it out for like you know two months or so, and um, just just to float the property. And then you only pay for one cleaning fee. You don't pay for it like every couple of days. And um, and so that, that works really well. Yeah. I would say it, it's a good plan B. Like usually we go short-term first is plan A, medium-term is plan B, and then long-term would be more of a plan C. So that's mm -hmm. that's the way that we usually do it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of opposite here. You know, it got really saturated, and especially in Dallas, to where we, our plan A turned to midterms and then plan B is short-term. So... Because you know everybody was doing short-term rentals, uh, creating Airbnb. So it's like, oh, we gotta, we gotta try getting these travel nurses in here, getting these longer stays, so we won't be just, you know, battling a, a what do they call it, a, a race to the bottom in price-wise. You know, it was just crazy. Twenty dollars a night, thirty dollars a night. And people are ridiculous. But um, <laughs> yeah, it got oversaturated. No regulations. You know, uh, we've talked about it a lot on this show. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's cool, man. And you said that uh, the travel nursing thing, I didn't even, I didn't know what was uh, going on up there too, I guess. Um, is it still pretty strong or is it cooled off a lot? Yeah, it's, it's still pretty strong. And like there's corporate travel now too. Corporate travel kind of died off quite a bit with that, uh, with COVID and everything, but it's picking back up for sure. So if you have a place in the right location, it can definitely do well as a midterm rental. Like there's different pockets of demand, whether it's traveling nurses or corporate executives or whatever it might be. Okay. That's cool. I mean, you're trying different things and seeing what works and what works at the, the right times, you know, this is, this is cool. I guess the big, the biggest um, takeaway from this discussion is they're saying 
the the Airbnb bus, the Airbnb bus, whatever. Uh, everybody didn't get hurt, you know, just the ones that kind of that don't know what they're doing or they suck at it, right? <laughs> the best ones kept doing it the best, you know. And, and people were scrambling, you know, looking for looking for gurus for the oh, I got to do my pricing, you know. I mean, price is important, but oh, it's the algorithm, you know, wrecked me or they started the excuse. Was your was your unit good in a good location, decorated nice? Great pictures, you know, those are the, the top three things you got to make sure of first. And then, OK, if if it's a crap hole and, and all of a sudden you're not making no money, well, it's because the best ones are taking all the money. Right. It's simple. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like it's simple. Just, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like you see you see who's swimming without their pants on when the tide goes down. It's like, you know, <laughs> they, we had high tide for a long time. And like if you had a listing then you had it, you had bookings. Like if you put a picture of a sandwich up on Airbnb, it was like, get booked. <laughs> but then, you know, the tide goes out. And like you said, you have to have good photos, good decor, good everything in order to actually get booked. So. Yeah. I like that, man. Well, man, it's been a great episode. Huh, Micah. Yeah. Quick question for you guys though. Cause uh, Toronto is one of the cities I want to visit. Is it better than Vancouver, BC? And this is, oh man, this is contentious, but I say absolutely. I, I, I got really hyped up about Vancouver. Everyone that talked to me about it was like, oh my God, it's amazing. And I went there, I was underwhelmed. I think Toronto is really wicked, especially if you like really good food. Toronto has the best food scene anywhere. Okay. I'm definitely coming. Yeah. I've been talking. I'm like, and I want to go to Toronto when the Raptors won the championship. And I seen like all the stuff they were doing for, for Kawhi. And I'm like, dang, I need to go to Toronto. Like all the people that were out there, he was like, yeah, those people. So I was like, yeah, I want to go to Toronto. Check. If you can make it down when the Raptors win another NBA championship, definitely do that. <laughs> yeah. That I don't know if it'll happen anytime soon, but uh, I'll definitely yeah. It does. <laughs> Or if the uh, Maple Leafs do something. Ah, it's been, it's been yeah, a while. Uh, yeah, the city would flip there. over. Yeah, there'd be, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there'd be some riots for sure. That'd be wild. There, there's like 70-year-old fans, like 70-year fans, because they haven't won in a long, long time, since like the 60s, I believe. So. Yeah. I still think they have the coolest sweaters, man. I, I love the, you know, they're they're a classic team, you know, one of the what starting five teams or the – the league started with yeah. five or I don't know what the whole history is, but, uh, but man, it just, yeah, it's been a long time. I, I hope they do something. I hope they do something. Not against my stars, you know, but, but, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. You and you and a lot of other people are sitting there helping. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, <clears throat> thank you all so much for hopping on and having a cool conversation with us about short-term rentals and buying properties to do short-term rentals, Burr, Burr, B&B. Uh, we cover a lot, um, cottages, uh, boutique hotels. Um, yeah, man, it's been, it's a, a eye-opening episode. We loved having y'all on, uh, where could people find you? Uh, best place is just check out our website. We've got all kinds of great content on there. So yeah, bnbinnercircle.com. That's the best place to find us. They can reach out, just hit the website. Um, yeah, bnbinnercircle.com. Cool. That's Any cool. more questions for, for the guys, Mike? No, thank y'all for coming on, man. I learned a lot about Canada. Uh, Steve asked this famous poutine question. So <laughs> it's good having y'all on. So, uh, yeah, man, I'll definitely come back in the future. I know that you guys are going to keep kicking butt at your course and uh, definitely hop back on in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks so much for having us. Definitely. Right, man. Take care. See ya. And that was two amazing people, James. Svetik and Riley Oikel.
I didn't even ask them how they said their names correctly, but I was waiting you know. to ask. <laughs> like, they, even, they, they could have, they could have helped me out, helped brother out a little bit, you know. But they just let me sweat. They just let me sweat. Um, Debo's <laughs> chicken coop. Uh, <laughs> that was a great episode. Yeah, it was, man. We we got to do a me and you episode. We haven't done one in a while, but yeah, yeah, for sure, it was a good episode. Oh man, have some drinks, have some good times. Yeah, we should do that. We should do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just it, it it's so simple, and 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 um, it just makes me think, man. You, you make a good product, you price it right, and something that people want, you're gonna do good in any climate, right? And yeah. you might you might skate by with a shitty product for a while, and when everybody's making money hand over fist, but when this when the stuff goes you know when the water <laughs> the tide goes back out to sea and you're sitting there naked <laughs> you know oh, man. yeah yeah so i mean we get technical on the show we talk about the algorithms and the bust and all this you know stuff and and it's and it's part of it but it's i mean the main thing in any business make a great product that people want price it right and run a good business and you'll be all right yeah. And that that's one of the reasons why I want to go into that boutique hotel space. Like I want to start one in Little Rock. Let that be the boutique hotel. Cause I was just I went to a hotel not too long ago just to kind of look around the lobby. Hotels are really smart. You know, they got all the advertising in there. And then I could advertise my houses inside the hotel. So hey, you want a full blown house? Here's my house over here. And I wanted to kind of have my logo out front. I, I got some ideas up here that I'm about to put out there. So I am looking to get into that space. I love that boutique hotel space. Then you can be in the middle of the city. They sh- they shut down Airbnbs, like the short-term rentals out of houses. You're still standing. Like mm. you said, we got to become the man. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to be with, it's, it's backwards from what um, Ric Flair said. He said, to be, a, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Now, this way, you got to beat the man, you got to be the man. Straight up. Or it can be like the <laughs> uncle on next on next Friday. What did he say? When I, I, I was the one, first one that said, once I get my money, I was going to be in the hood. And I got my money. <laughs> I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh man! But yeah, man, you, we gotta start moving in those different circles, though, man. We were thinking small at first. Now we gotta think big. The B and B inner circle—that's what's up. Yeah, yeah. Check them out. Check them out. <laughs> but yeah, cool, man. man. For oh yeah, yeah. Thank y'all for continuing to listen to us. Uh, send us an email. Uh, hit us up on Instagram, TikTok. Send us an email. Oh, like. Like us, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button below. And uh, yeah, thank y'all for continuing to listen. Anything else, Stevie Stacks? Uh, hit up our companies, man. Help us out. Throw some bread at us. Argestrentals.com, <laughs> A-R-G-E-S-T, rentals. Argest is the largest. Micah's got his share B&B company, buying yes. houses. Yes, sir. Them, slapping them, rubbing them down. Oh, no. <laughs> if you got any fixers, hit them up. Send, send, me, send them my way. property off your hands and we are out peace later thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of live let thrive be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of airbnb and all that entails bye-bye